This is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Well, today we're wrapping up our Life Verses series. Uh, we started off by looking at Isaiah 45:22, the life verse of Charles Spurgeon, a preacher from long ago. Last week we looked at Galatians 6.14, the favorite verse of Billy Graham, the famous preacher who recently passed away. And today we're actually going to look at the life verse of an influential person who's still alive. It's one of the most popular verses you might see in a Christian bookstore, you might see it on a poster, you might see it on a mug, you might see it on people's social media posts. We're talking about Jeremiah 29.11. And as we look at its verse in context, we're going to see how it encourages and motivates us as believers to endure present difficulties that we face as we look towards the future glory that we have in Christ Jesus. When she was just 13 years old, Bethany Hamilton was ranked second in the entire United States of female surfers 18 years old and younger. She seemed destined for stardom in a long professional surfing career until tragedy struck. One morning when she was surfing with her friend off the coast of Hawaii, a 14-foot long tiger shark attacked Bethany. The shark bit off nearly her entire left arm. Hamilton survived the attack, and to the shock of many, only two months later, she was back in the water learning how to surf again, but with only one arm. Two years later, she was national champion. Bethany was raised in a Christian family, and she clung to her faith tightly during the attack and her recovery. She is admitted to having down days for sure in the process, but she says she never doubted God's love for her, and she was convinced that God had a plan and a reason for allowing her to lose her arm. Now that she's married and has a couple of children, Hamilton continues to surf today, and she openly speaks about her love for and faith in Jesus. When asked about her favorite Bible verse in an article promoting the movie Soul Surfer, which came out a number of years ago, which is based on her life and the attack, she said, oh, that's an easy one, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That verse really uplifted and inspired me when I was recovering from the attack. This is a favorite verse for many people. Perhaps it's your favorite verse, or at least the one that that you quoted uh, and that you enjoy and that you cling to. And so what we're going to do, we're going to take a look at this verse again in its context, and we're going to see how it does apply to Christians thousands of years later, because I believe that it does. So if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Jeremiah chapter 29. So here's some of the context. Israel was invaded and defeated and taken into exile by Babylon. The prophet Jeremiah was actually alive during this time. He watched it all happen. He was one of the few survivors that remained in Jerusalem while most were carried away. Chapter 29 is part of a letter that he wrote to the exiles in Babylon to address certain false prophets who were telling the people there that God was going to bring them back to Israel very soon, very quickly, right away. So let's look at verse 1. It says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now jump down to verse 4. 
It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Now verse 10. So that's addressing what, he, what is not true. Now here's what's true. Verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So Jeremiah tells them to expect a long stay. Not a permanent stay, but a long stay. Yes, God is going to bring you back from Babylon, but it's not going to be right away. Don't listen to those people who are saying that. It's actually going to be in 70 years. So settle down. Don't rebel. Don't resist. Just wait and trust me. You know, we may need to hear that these days as well. Settle down, just wait, just trust me. And now we get into verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come to pray to me, and and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile." So, so we see pretty clearly that in its context, Jeremiah 29, 11 refers primarily to the Jewish exiles in their current plight being stuck in Babylon. Jeremiah tells them, God hasn't forgotten you. He still loves you. He hasn't abandoned you. He's going to fulfill his purpose. He's going to bring you back. Israel is going to still be used as a light to the nations. So, so the plans, the good, the welfare mentioned in verse 11 refer to them returning to their homeland, having their cities rebuilt and to have this physical nation of Israel restored and prosper once again. Now, even though this is a specific prophecy about the physical nation of Israel, do you think this verse does apply to the believer in Jesus? And I'm going to explain how, how that works. But I will say that we do need to be careful in how we view and use and apply Scripture, especially when we kind of parachute in and take things out of context. Okay? This is very clearly talking about a promise two exiles to return to the physical land of Israel. And when we isolate this verse, we can approach it in unhelpful and even wrong ways. I've heard people say, well, see, look, God says he's got plans to prosper you. Therefore, Jeremiah 29, 11 is all about the fact that God's going to make you rich and, and healthy and wealthy. That's what this verse is all about. I've heard other people say, oh, look, plans not to harm you, for good, not for evil. This verse is saying that God's never going to let really significant difficulties come in your life. Yeah, maybe some ups and downs, but nothing really terrible. Plans not to harm you, right? Well, tell that to Bethany Hamilton, who lost her arm. That seems like harm. That seems pretty significant. Or tell it to the countless Christians throughout history who have suffered 
and even died for their faith. That seems like harm. So how does that work? How can, how can then the believer properly view this verse? How does it apply to us? Well, even though this prophecy again had a specific fulfillment in the Old Testament, Israel did in fact return to their land. It can apply to us when we put on our gospel lenses and we filter this through the New Testament and focus on an eternal perspective rather than just focusing on our current situations looking at the long term. And as we do that, we're going to see that Jeremiah 29, 11 gives us great encouragement in this life while we wait for Christ's return and the glorious future that we will inherit in him. And so we're going to look at three things to learn, three things that we can learn and remember and understand as we read this verse. So first thing to help us apply this verse, we've got to start by understanding that like Israel was in Babylon, we are actually exiles here and now. We, we are exiles, right? Israel was going to live in Babylon for a long time. Seventy years is a long time, but Babylon wasn't their true home. And in the same way, First Peter refers to Christians as exiles and encourages us to live with that kind of mentality. First Peter 2, verse 10 and 11. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So here's the reality. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, Windsor is not your true home. Or LaSalle, or Essex, or Amherstburg. Canada is not your true home, despite what might be on your passport or your birth certificate. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 tells us that when we believe in Jesus, our citizenship is actually transferred to heaven. It says our citizenship is in heaven from whom we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to return. He's going to transform our lowly bodies. He's going to come back. We are waiting. We're waiting for our true home. That's going to be revealed when Jesus returns. He's going to make all things new. And so then, like the people of Israel, we may suffer, we may endure hardship and have difficult circumstances along the way. But in Christ, we have hope, we have life, we have a blessed assurance of a future in the very presence of God forever. And since that's the true reality, as Philippians 4 verse 1 goes on to state, we are to stand firm in the Lord as we wait for him. And so we can apply Jeremiah 29, 11 in this sense. We are exiles, yes, but we're exiles with a sure hope, a sure future. Which then, of course, begs the question, are we standing firm in the Lord? Are we living like exiles in this world who are waiting for our true home? Or are we actually blending into this world and adopting its ideas and its philosophies and practices so much that we're forgetting our true home? We're getting so used and so comfortable to to this place that we stop yearning for heaven. So what distinguishes us as exiles? What's different about us as people who, who claim to know Jesus versus people who claim not to know Jesus? Are we living like exiles? Jeremiah 29, 11 is meant to remind us of our great and glorious future. And when we focus on that future, that's when we're going to find the courage to endure the present. So we are exiles. 
But even though we're exiles, it's important that we understand the second thing, that we are not forgotten exiles. We will not be abandoned. We will not be abandoned. And I'll say honestly, on a personal level, I, I don't really know what it's like to be totally abandoned by, an, an, by another family member, for example. Sadly, that is the experience for many people, possibly even you watching right now. You, you know this. You've gone through this kind of horrible sense of being totally abandoned and, and the emotions. There's, there's, there's anger, there's confusion, there, there's sadness, there's, there's frustration, there's hopelessness all wrapped together. And I'm sure, I'm sure that's what the people of Israel felt as they were being carried away from their home, taken captive, forced to march all the way from Jerusalem to Babylon. What is going on? What's happened? Why has God let this happen to us? Has he abandoned us? Has he totally forsaken us? But see, that's what makes Jeremiah 29, 11 so good, so powerful. He says, no, I haven't forgotten you. You're my people. I will not completely abandon you. I, I will discipline you. Yes, there will be consequences for your actions, of course. It may seem like while you're getting disciplined that I've abandoned you, that I've forgotten you, but it is not true. I have not forgotten you. Trust me, I've got plans for you. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to restore you. And so then again, as believers in Jesus who now have become God's people his sons and his daughters, we have a rock-solid confidence that regardless of what may happen to us in the present, God will never forget us. He will never abandon us. He will never leave us. Hebrews 13.5 says he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. It may feel like it at times, but it's not the reality. We're going to face difficult situations. We're going to face even difficult seasons And we may go through absolute junk and have horrible things done to us by other people. And I don't want to minimize any of that. But we've got, again, we've got to remember, gospel lenses, looking to the future, those difficulties, they don't mean that God's abandoned us. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you anymore. It doesn't mean that God doesn't like you anymore because you're going through something that's hard. Jesus still loves you. Jesus will not abandon you. Jesus will return for you. Future, eternal glory awaits everybody who puts their trust in Christ. Other people are going to let you down. Other people may forsake you, totally abandon you. Jesus never will. He's done the work to forgive your sins to bring you into God's family. And when you're in God's family, you're, you're in God's family forever because of the cross he has given you and me a certain hope and a certain future. So we are exiles. We are exiles who will not be abandoned. And thirdly, we actually do know what some of the Lord's plans are. We, we know part of the plan. Bethany Hamilton didn't understand all of the reasons why God allowed a shark to bite off her arm, but she continued to trust that God was good and that he knew what he was doing, that he had a plan. In one interview, she commented about looking back at the attack in her life since. She said that while she had faith in the Lord before the attack, it was really after it that she truly clung to the Lord and grew in her faith. And while she obviously never wanted to lose her arm, she used this as a platform combined with her incredible surfing ability to speak about Jesus to people all over the world in a way that probably would not have happened if she had just been a regular surfer with two arms. 
So she said, I definitely rely on my faith in God every day. And some days I say, God, I don't know why I lost my arm, but I'm going to trust you and know that good can come from this situation. See, when it comes down to it, we read Jeremiah 29, 11, and we try to apply it to our lives. It's about trust. Trusting God's word. Trusting God's character and trusting God's plans. Bethany Hamilton trusts in God's plans even though she doesn't know all of them. And neither do we. We don't know all of them, but it is encouraging to know that God does have plans for every single one of us, like specifically you and me. He's got plans for you. He's got plans for you, McCutcheons. He's got plans for you, Parker family. He's got plans for you, Dawson's, Ibarra's, Shuttleworth's. He's got plans for you. He's got plans for you. Now again, I don't know all of the details of those plans in your life or in my life, but I do know part of the plan. Scripture reveals that to us in Romans 8, 28 and 29. He says, and we know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many Brothers, we know, we, we, we know it says that God is working all things out in our lives for good, for those who love God, those who have come to this place where we say, yes, Jesus, I love you and I trust in you and I surrender my life to you. God is working all things out for our good. But we've got to remember that God defines what is good. We might not think that that is good for us. Or that we may not like what that, what that situation brings and how it happens. But remember, God defines good. And actually, in this passage, he defines good, what is ultimately good for us, as being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Like, that's what's good for you and me, being molded and shaped, becoming more and more like Jesus. So when things are really hard, when, when life, like, totally hits the fan, whatever the situation is, maybe, maybe the car breaks down, maybe the job is lost, you get the medical diagnosis you didn't want to get, or you've got to wait months and months and months in between appointments. You've got a, a new, uh, like annoying and difficult family that moves into the neighborhood. You get a friend who does something that's like incredibly hurtful, or you're living in a pandemic that just never seems to go away. More shark bites off your arm. We can take courage. Because we know that even the toughest parts of our life here on earth are used by God to help make us more like Jesus. That's the plan, and that's awesome. It doesn't minimize the pain, it doesn't minimize the suffering, but it helps us to know that there's a plan. It's not random. And so, yeah, Jeremiah 29 11 might be used inaccurately by some people, but when, again, it is viewed through these gospel lenses, it's so useful in reminding us that God knows about us, God cares about us, and that in Christ, we have the most incredible and sure hope and future possible. Like, we get eternal life with God himself. And when we focus on that eternal life, we focus about you know, glory to come forever and ever, again, we can then endure the present with hope and even joy because we know it's not random. There's purpose even in the pain. 
R.C. Sproul has said it this way, those who understand and trust God's sovereignty have joy in the midst of suffering, a joy reflected even on their very faces, for they see that their suffering is not without purpose. God is working all things, yes, all things for the good of his people and for his glory. In a recent post on her website, Bethany Hamilton talked about trusting God above all else in the midst of difficulties. Quoting John 16.33, she commented, the Bible tells us in John 16.33, in this world you will have trouble. Well, that's not the best news, but reality is important. Trials are coming. But the verse finishes, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There, that's the good stuff. With Jesus, we can overcome. Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus has done the work. Jesus is our source of hope. Jesus has secured our future. Jeremiah 29, 11 encouraged us to trust the Lord and his plans that they're good, to keep holding on in this present time as, as we live as exiles, you know, to face our hardships with faith, to joyfully look forward to the day when our faith will be sight, will be with Jesus forever and ever. That's why this can be such an incredible life verse, all because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we're honored and humbled to read your word and to see it and to have it impact our lives. Lord, I pray for everybody that is listening right now, that whatever situation that they're in or that they're coming out of or that they're going to find themselves in in the coming days, Lord, that they would have a rock-solid confidence in you, in your goodness, that they would trust in your sovereignty and in your plans. Lord, that our faith wouldn't be shaken when trials and difficulties come into our lives because you have told us that's going to happen but we would remember that you are working all of these things out for our good, for your glory, that we could become more and more like you, Jesus. So help us, Holy Spirit, to develop this attitude, an attitude that continues to have hope and joy in the midst of difficulties, an attitude similar to Bethany Hamilton who who never, never thought that you had forsaken her or abandoned her when she lost her arm, but she believed that there must be a plan, there must be a reason for this, and now you have used her to reach many people with the good news and the hope of your son Jesus. So help us, again, to adopt this mindset, to think about you, to think about your purposes, to know that they're not random. The pain is real, the pain is hard, but the pain is not forever. Our forever is coming and our forever is going to be glorious and we cannot wait for that day. Use us as exiles here and now while we wait. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.